Okay, I want you to turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 28, verse 18 to 19. Today's message is entitled, Be a Soul Winner. Obviously, because the entire month of July, we want to focus on souls. Matthew 28, verse 18 to 19. And Jesus came and spoke to his disciples, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And then Jesus says, Teach them all things I have commanded you, and I'm always with you, even to the end of the age. Jesus said, go. That is in the imperative. In other words, it is a command. Not only to theologians or church workers, but to all believers. Can you say all believers? Amen. God wants every believer to be a soul winner. Can you say amen? Let me just share a couple of my stories in how I began my journey of being a soul winner. One of my first experiences was in the year 1997. I was in a cell group in Kohima, somewhere in Midland, and we were gathered there, just a group of about uh, 20 young adults, and we did the usual hymns and prayer and uh, testimonies and so on, and we were about to close the cell group meeting. But at the end, I decided to just take a chance. Even though everyone looked very, very spiritual, and everyone looked like they were Christians, I decided to take a chance and say, is there anyone here who has never surrendered his or her life to Christ? And strangely enough, there was a sister that raised a hand and said, I've been to church my whole life, but I have never, never said a prayer to receive Jesus as my Lord and Savior. So we had the opportunity to lead her in a prayer of salvation. She broke down into tears. And I tell you, my heart was so full of joy and happiness and contentment at the fact that a soul was saved. One of my first. It was amazing. Another experience I had was when I went to Arunachal. It was in the year 1998. We had gone for a youth camp. And on our way back... Uh, it was a long bus journey overnight, so I decided to just spend time worshiping God, meditating in, on the scriptures while I was there on the bus. So I did that, and for about an hour or so, I was praying in tongues. I was just meditating on the scriptures. The presence of God came upon me. I was laughing in the spirit there on the bus, and suddenly, the bus broke down. Right there in the middle of a psalm, it was hot, and we were just wondering what's happening. And we were walking in and out of the bus, but they were taking time to make the tires. So as I was just hanging out by the roadside, there was this young man. He was a Bengali from Dimapu, and we began to have a conversation. He was, you know, trying to find a job, trying to get into business. And as we started talking, I decided, let me just take a chance and share the gospel. So I shared the gospel very simply. And guess what? He accepted Christ. He said, okay, I want to accept Jesus. Then and there, on the highway, in the middle of a psalm, we said a prayer of salvation, and he accepted the Lord. Isn't that amazing? Immediately after that, the bus driver said, the tire is repaired, let's go. And it seemed like as if God punctured the tire. 
just so that Bengali boy could get saved. Amen. Hallelujah. And I tell you, my heart was so filled with joy and peace. I was on the inside going, yes, because somebody got saved. Since then, I've had the privilege to lead hundreds and even thousands to Christ in meetings, in seminars, conferences, in crusades. And let me tell you this, of all the ministry works that I am involved in, being involved in getting souls saved directly is what gives me the most pleasure and the greatest satisfaction. Let me show you seven points why every believer should be involved in soul winning. Seven points. And I'm sharing this so that I can motivate you to become a soul winner. I can motivate you into action. You know, I'm a pastor. That's my role here in this church. And my role is to, to comfort those who are disturbed, either by, you know, pain, by depression or sickness. My job is coming to comfort you. Do you agree? Amen. But my job is also to disturb those who are comfortable. Those of you who have come and sat here in this church for years, you know the gospel of grace from A to Z and from Z to A. And even for the last three years, you have not even moved the finger to invite anyone to church or to share the gospel. In other words, you are too comfortable. Turn to a neighbor and say, he's talking about you today. Amen. You are too comfortable. And I hope that this message will disturb you. Disturb you so that you will act on the word. Number one, 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 4. If you would all turn there, 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 4. We must be motivated by God's desire. The Bible says, God desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. So here we have a series of exhortations. Paul is saying, pray and give thanks for all men, especially for kings and all who are in authority. That's why in this church, every day at 6 p.m., we pray for the chief minister and his cabinet. I hope you're doing that. If you are not, just put your phone, the alarm mode, 6 p.m. Every day, we pray for the chief minister. How many of you are doing that? How many of you want to do that? All right, make sure you do that. There is a blessing in praying for these people. Hallelujah. Why? Because you are obeying the command of God. There's no blessing for cursing the chief minister. <laughs> right? That's what the majority of Nagas would do. There's no blessing there. But there's a blessing in praying for him. Can you say amen? amen. Every day at 6, make sure you're doing that. Then verse 4, God says, God desires. Everyone say desires. It's the passion of his heart. It's the desire of his soul. God desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. So as children of God, his desire must become our desire. Amen. I remember going to a sweet shop in Delhi many years back. And I was amazed to see that in that sweet shop, very busy, very popular, the father was there in a corner counting the money, of course. And then the son, the elder sons were there in the counter talking to the customers. And then the younger brothers were there running around serving the people. It was a family business. 
And because it was a family business, everybody was involved. Do you know that soul saving is family business? Can you say amen? It is family business. The father sent his son to die on the cross for us. And then he sends now the Holy Spirit to convict the hearts of unbelievers to turn to him. And now he releases us, his children, to go and give this message to the world. But some of us are not included or I won't say included, are not getting involved in the family business. And that's why maybe we are not experiencing the family blessing. Amen. Turn to your neighbor and say, this is family business. Amen. Everybody must be involved. Can you say hallelujah? Number two, Matthew 28 verse 19, Jesus said, go into all the world. Amen. And share the gospel, discipling the nations, teaching all that I have commanded you. That was Jesus' last command. I remember many times when my wife and I, we are going on a journey, and of course with our children, sometimes with other children, we talk to a helper and said, Aru, last right? Usually we give the important instructions in the last moment. Or the last instructions are usually the most important ones. So Jesus gave us the most important instruction. Just when He was about to ascend to heaven, He said, make sure you go into all the world and share this gospel. Amen. It is not a suggestion. It is not an idea. It is a command. And a command is something that we are expected to obey, to follow. Can you say amen? Number three, Romans chapter 10, verse 13 to 14. If you would turn with me in your scriptures, Romans chapter 10. People will not know unless somebody tells them. Verse 13 says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Whoever calls on the name of Jesus shall be saved. When Ren and the team have been going out on Saturday, people have been calling on the name of Jesus on the streets in different parts of Kohima, and they are getting saved. Amen. Verse 14. How then shall they call on Him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in Him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? So Paul here is trying to make a point by asking some very important questions. Let me ask those questions to you. How will people call on God unless they believe, right? Right or wrong? Yes. Now the next question. How will they believe unless they hear? Yes or no? Logical? Yes. Third question. How will they hear unless somebody Tells them. Logical? Amen. How will somebody go and tell them if the pastor does not push them? And that's what I'm doing today. Amen. Some of you need to be pushed. Some of you need to be pulled. Some of you need to be reminded that there are people here in Kohima who will never hear the gospel unless somebody tells them.
You see, we have an obligation. We, those who are born again, we are saved. We have an obligation to share the love and the grace of Christ to the world that has not heard the gospel yet, who are not believers. We have an obligation. It's an obligation called love because we love them and because we love God. Amen. Let's say that your neighbor's house is burning. You are awake, 4 a.m. You woke up early. You're having your cup of tea, and then you see that your neighbor's kitchen is burning, and your neighbor is still sleeping. And from the kitchen to the bedroom is going to take just a couple of minutes before the flame goes there, and they're going to die. And yet you're thinking, I don't want to disturb him here. It's only 4 a.m. Anyway, who am I to go and disturb? And you're still sipping your cup of tea. Would you do that? No. I mean, you would drop your cup of tea. You will go out in your underpants. You will go out banging on the door. Wake up. That's what you will do. Amen. Why? It's an urgent thing. Do you know that people you meet every day, But if they are not born again, they are living in a burning house. Do you know that's the reality? Why? Because they will die one day and the flame will eventually get them. The eternal flames of judgment. So your own family members or even your neighbors who are not born again, they are living in a burning house. And it's only a matter of time before the flames will engulf them. We must take it as an urgent command from the Lord. Can you say amen? But Pastor Nagalin is a Christian state. See, we hear that so often, our heart gets desensitized. We don't see the urgency anymore. See, Jesus was in the most religious nation in the world at that time called Israel to the most religious people of the world. And he told the theologian who came to him, Nicodemus, you must be born again. Why don't we also do the same to all the people that we meet that we know that they are not born again, even though they may be Christians, tell them directly, you must be born again. And you are not being uh, rude. You are not being impolite. You're just being like Jesus. Tell them you must be born again. Of course, in the spirit of grace. You see, we must understand that when we carry this message out, it is not a message of become a Christian. It is not a message of come to church. It is a message of are you truly sure you are saved? Are you born again? Do you have assurance of salvation? Have you placed your trust completely and utterly in Jesus and His finished work and not in religion and not in your works and not in Christianity or even your own denomination? That is the message we must carry. Number four, the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. Romans chapter 1 verse 16 tells us, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, the good news. For it is the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes. For the Jew first, so I shared this last Sunday, the priority of Israel in God's plan of salvation. We must take the gospel to the Jews. And that's why as a church, we are sowing every month 
money to ministries in Israel that are, worked for, that are working for salvation among the Jews. All right? Now, the point here is that the gospel is the power of God to salvation. Everyone say power. Let me read it again so that we will all get the point of this verse. Turn to your Bible, everyone. Do you know that every day I meet people who are bound in the misery of sin? Depression, sickness, guilt, condemnation, suicidal tendencies, bitterness. Almost every day. And I'm sure some of you have been meeting those people too. And do you know that you have the cure? You have the cure. You have the medicine. You have it. You think you don't? You have it. You have the medicine for those people. You have it. It's with you. It's in your heart. It's in your lips. The cure for the freedom of people. The cure for people to be saved from their miseries is in your mouth and in your heart. Let's say there was a disease that came to Kohima and thousands of people are dying, the hospitals are full, and there is no cure, and every family and every household has been affected, and people are crying and crying all over the town. But there was a doctor who had stocks in his pharmacy of the medicine, the only medicine that could cure this disease in this town. And he said, I will not give to everyone, anyone, only for my own family. So he did not sell it. He did not give it. He kept the cure for himself. But one day it was found out that the doctor had that medicine and he did not share it. Can you imagine what people will do? What would you do? We would all go to his house, take him out, start beating him up. Rest or no? Yes, we would give him a good Naga massage. You know, we would, I mean, he would be the most hated doctor, the most hated citizen in whole Nagaland. Yes or no? Yes. Am I making the point? Christians have the cure. You have the medicine. And yet we are not sharing it with those that are lost and broken. You have the medicine. It's very simple. It's just called the message of Christ. All you have to do is simply tell them, God can heal you. Christ has saved you. Christ has forgiven you. Just surrender to Christ. You see, many times Christians feel like the pastor is putting the pressure on, on, on them, on you, to get people healed, to get people saved. No, I know you cannot save anyone. I know you cannot heal anyone. I know that for very sure. I know I can't save anyone. I can't heal anyone. But when I share, the Holy Spirit is there to do the miracle. It's not your responsibility to save them or to heal them, but it's your responsibility to administer the medicine. See, when the doctor comes and gives the injection, we get healed. And we say, doctor, thank you so much. It was not the doctor, it was the medicine. The doctor was just educated enough to put the injection the right injection. Yes or no? Yes. What are you coming to church for every Sunday? To get the education. 
So that when people are sick around you, when people are lost around you, you can go and tell them, Jesus is the healer of the brokenhearted. For those that are depressed. For those that are sick, you can say, Jesus healed us by His stripes. For those that are bound in some other sickness or in some other problems, you can go and share with them the benefits of the gospel. You have the medicine. Turn to your neighbor and say, you have the medicine. Matthew chapter 9, verse 37. Laborers are few. Everyone say, laborers are few. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest truly is plentiful. And this has been true for all ages. The harvest truly is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. The harvest is not only in the mission field. The harvest is wherever people are. And Kohima has been blessed to the point that the harvest field comes to Kohima. People from all over the Northeast come to Kohima for work, for education even. Amen. Hallelujah. So we must understand that this has always been the case in the history of the church. Laborers are always few. Why? It's always because someone is assuming or everyone assumes someone else is doing the job. Right? Isn't that what we do sometimes? I think someone else is doing that work. I think someone is going to that colony. We assume that the work of evangelism is being done so well by the pastor and the evangelist that we don't have to do it. And that is where we make a mistake. Jesus said, laborers are few. Few. Let that sink in. Amen. Hallelujah. Number six, the purpose of your existence. You exist today so that you can save souls. As simple as that. You are here alive on the earth. God has kept you here. Why? So that you can advance the kingdom of God. That is why you are here today. And we must understand that. The purpose for existence is greater than aiming for that next job, that next promotion, that next car, that next house, that next fashionable dress. Life is more than just moving from one next experience to another. If there is nothing of eternal value that we have a purpose for in our hearts, I tell you, you will come to a point where you can be very depressed and discontented with life because after you have experienced all of those things and after you have bought your third car and after you have that house, what more is there? Anthony Bourdain, that chef who committed suicide last month. How many of you have heard of him? Do you know that in February, he was being interviewed by one of his friends and he shared that, you know, after your ambition, all your ambitions have been fulfilled, what more is there to life? Something to that point. I'm not, I'm not you know, just quoting him directly, but something to that point he shared that after you have seen everything you want to, experienced everything you want to, in this life, there is nothing else to look forward to. You can be in a very miserable state in your heart. Why? There is nothing in this world, things, houses, cars, 
people, nothing in this world that can satisfy you and give you meaning and purpose. Meaning and purpose always comes from the realm of eternity into the temporal. It always comes from God. Amen. Number seven, the blessings of soul winning. Point A, the blessings for the soul. You see, one of the first blessings of soul winning is that your heart is filled with the joy of the Lord. Why? The Bible says that in, in heaven, angels rejoice over one sinner who repents. That's the joy of the Father. So when you get a soul saved, you experience the same joy that your heavenly Father experiences because it is family business. There's a peace, there's a joy, there's, there's satisfaction. Not only that, now you begin to have meaning and purpose. See, the purpose for you to be a doctor is not just to be a doctor, but it is to be a doctor for Christ in that very place. The point, the meaning for you to be a government official is not just to be a government official, but to be a government official for Christ in that very place so that you can be an influence for the kingdom in your sphere of influence. Amen. Point number B, provision. I've always experienced this, that God takes care of those who take care of His business. What is God's business? God's business is soul winning. Do you agree? Yes. He made a huge investment, the investment of His own Son. And now He wants a return. As a good businessman, He wants the full return of His investment with interest. And that is from every tribe, nation, people, and tongue, people to be worshiping before His throne. Amen. So I've experienced this numerous times. When I take care of God's business, He takes care of my business. In other words, God will bless you financially, materially, if you will keep soul winning as your purpose in life. I guarantee you that. You will not lack. Amen. Selfishness for the Christian is poison. Selfishness is a black hole. Whether selfishness in your tithes and offering, it's a black hole. Your life seems to collapse. Your, your, your finances will collapse if you have a black hole of selfishness in your finances. In the same way, in soul winning. One reason why Christians don't go out and save souls is simply because they're selfish. In other words, they're thinking more of self than the other person. So selfishness is a poison. God cannot bless selfishness. He will not bless selfishness. But when we lay down ourselves and we go and we lift up the interest of God, the business of God, He will bless you. Let me share with you the testimony of Paul J. Myers. He made a commitment to Christian stewardship when he heard the words of a Christian business leader. So as a young professional, Paul went with his pastor, Dr. Bill Hansen, to hear the testimony of Christian industrialist R.G. Letourneau. Mr. Letourneau gave his testimony and said that his goal was to give 90% of his income to the Lord's work and to live out of the 10%. Because he wanted to reverse the common Christian idea of tithing. This touched his heart. 
And it became a turning point in his view of wealth as belonging to Christ and not to him. In the days that followed, Paul committed to tithing and he pursued this commitment to Christian stewardship the rest of his life. His commitment to Christian stewardship was the basis for everything that followed. It began small, but it turned into several millions of dollars, growing ultimately that in 1984, they had already given $75 million to Christian organizations. Which means, if they gave $75 million, God also kept a lot with them also. So that they could keep on giving lots, right? In other words, they also prospered. The more they gave, God gave them more to steward so that they could give more, so God gave more. So that they gave more and God gave more. So that the more they gave, they always had more than enough for themselves. And both of them were also really, really blessed. Started over 100 companies. Amen. Point number C. The blessings of soul winning. They are eternal rewards in heaven. First Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 19 to 20, Paul says that they are rewards. Rewards for bringing people to the Lord. For what is a hope, Paul says, because he has brought the Thessalonians to Christ. He's the one who got them to Christ. He says, what is my expectation or joy or crown of rejoicing? Is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at His coming? You are a glory and a joy. Paul was saying that there is a crown of rejoicing. There's a reward for me. And my joy will be to bring you into the Father's house. Amen. So there's a joy in that. And there's also a crown of rejoicing that Paul is going to receive because he brought those believers to the Lord and so will all of us the only thing that you can take with you to heaven is souls amen so that's the wisest investment you can make for your future get people saved amen now, when we share about those things people want to I know people have a heart but usually people do not cross the threshold of going out there and acting on the word because of excuses or because of things that hold them back in their heart. So let me share with you the most common four reasons why people don't go out and share. And the first of that is obviously fear. Fear. Either timidity, either shyness, or some form of fear why we don't share the gospel with our friends, our neighbors, or even our family members. It could be the fear of failing. What if I share and no one accepts? Well, success is you sharing. Whether people accept Christ or not, is up to the Lord. For you, in God's eyes, success is to go out and share. Can you say amen? There's fear of being rejected. People calling you names. People being rude to you. And that is a fact. We must live with that. Number four, um, number three, there's a fear of being disliked by people, losing relationships. Losing relationships. All right? Because sometimes we, we believe that if I would share to this friend, I might hurt this relationship. 
Because my relationship with Him is so important. Let me tell you this. Ask you a question. Is your relationship with that brother more important than God's relationship with that brother? Let me tell you this. God's relationship with him is more important than your relationship with him. Amen. And that must be our motivation. Sometimes our earthly relationships need to take a back seat so that our friends can hear the gospel. And even though initially they may not like it, when the Lord opens their eyes, I tell you, they will be grateful that you were bold enough to share the gospel to them. Amen. The fear of sharing the gospel usually stems from selfishness. What is selfishness? It is to protect yourself. I don't want people to say those things of me. I don't want to be heard. I don't want to be treated rudely. I don't want to feel embarrassed. I don't want to be in the spotlight. I don't want. So we pay somebody to do it for us. Or we assume that someone else is already doing it. Or we take a passive role. We support evangelistic events. Nothing wrong with that. That is wonderful. Amen. And I tell you, all of us must be involved more and more in evangelistic efforts. But in your sphere of influence, I'm not saying that you go and you leave your job and go to the mission field. Some of you are in the job, you earn and you give, and that's how we are doing the work of ministry. We understand all of that. But I'm talking about your sphere of influence, the people you meet on a day-to-day basis. Amen. Not even going out to the mission field. People you encounter every day. I mean, at least for those people, God has a responsibility for you to share the gospel to them. Yes or no? Yes. Amen. See, ultimately, all selfishness is only overcome by a desire to love Christ and to obey Him. Number two. Many people have this feeling or this thought, "Mm, you know, sharing the gospel is not important. My life is more important. Let me reflect the values of Christ. Then people will come to know God. They live by what Francis of Assisi is supposedly quoted as saying, preach the gospel at all times, use words when necessary. Have you heard that? Have you heard that? Sounds very spiritual, right? Right? I don't like this statement. You know why? I don't think it's biblical. Let me just kill that sacred cow. You know why? You need words to share the gospel. How many of you don't smoke, don't drink? Let me see your hands. All of you should be raising your hands. (laughs) How many of you don't smoke, don't drink? So, at least in society, you live a good life, right? Are people banging on your doors to hear the gospel because... You don't smoke. You don't drink. I want to hear the gospel. Has anyone ever come to you like that? No. I thank God that I heard words. I heard words and I gave my life to Christ because I heard words. You cannot share the gospel without words. Amen. That's why I don't like this statement. And it was not even said by St. Francis of Assisi. A lot of things in Christianity is now accredited to to wrong things. It's like fake news. He was a very prolific preacher. 
Sometimes he would preach up to five times a day in towns and villages around Italy. St. Francis. He believed in preaching the gospel. You see, statements like this, which sound spiritual, actually take away the initiative from Christians to share the gospel. My life is more important. I will just, of course, is it important? Absolutely. The other part, I'm not contradicting. But I'm contradicting the part that we must not share. Our life is more important. No, we must share. It is equally important that we go out and we share the gospel. As Paul says, how will they believe if they will not hear? How will they hear if we don't send somebody? Somebody has to go and, and, and so that they will hear. Amen. Number three, you might mess up. That's what you think. I might make a mess of it. I don't know enough. I'm not ready. I'm not a theologian. Uh, I don't know, you know enough. So we think that we must be experts before we can actually share the gospel. Let me tell you this. You cannot mess up the gospel. As long as you trust in God. You cannot mess up sharing the gospel. We give ourselves too much credit when we think that when I understand everything and I'm able to preserve, present the points properly, then people will be moved in their hearts by the quality of my arguments. It's not you. It's the Holy Spirit who saves them. Amen. There was a preacher who was teaching his friend to share the gospel. And he says this, I remember teaching a friend to share his faith for the first time, and we found someone who would listen to us. My friend was very incoherent in his presentation, referring to Moses, Noah's Ark, the Red Sea, the bronze serpent on the staff, and angels. And I thought, my God, I need to jump in and save the situation. But the Holy Spirit told me to keep my mouth shut and simply listen. My friend babbled on and on, and finally he said, so what do you think about it? Do you think you want to give your life to Jesus? And a guy looked at us and said, yes, that's what I want to do. And there he realized that God is so powerful, he can even make the inarticulate sound like Paul. Ultimately, it's his spirit. All he wants you to do is to show up. Amen. And number four, the common excuse we make is, I'm not strong enough. I struggle with my own faith. How can I go and share? I'm weak myself, right? I'm not strong enough, Pastor. How can I go and tell people to, to, to accept Christ? So we think that this is only for the strong people. You must understand this. People are not attracted to the gospel when it is presented by perfect people. Flawless people. Actually, people are drawn to Christ when the people who share the gospel are people they can identify with. Simple people, broken people, everyday people, weak people growing in the Lord. Don't get caught up in whether your faith is strong enough to share. Just step out in faith. Amen. You see, faith becomes strong only when you use it, right? Many people are saying, Pastor, I'm waiting to be very strong and then I will go out and use my faith. No. It's like saying, Pastor, I want to have a lot of muscles and then I'll go to the gym. 
I want to have a very good shape and then I'll go to the gym. Because if I go to the gym, I feel shy. Everyone has good shape. So let me wait till I have a very good V shape, then I'll go to the gym. So many Christians are like that. Pastor, wait till my muscles are growing, till, till, till my faith is strong, till I'm perfect, then I'll go and share the gospel. No, sharing the gospel is a process of where God makes you strong, where God refines your faith. Amen. The gospel is always based ultimately on acting on it. The benefits you will receive only when you act on the word and you do it. All right? So let's be presented with certain steps that we can follow today, right now. I want you to take down your notes or your Bible on a piece of paper. Right now, we're going to pray. And when we pray, we're going to ask the Lord to show us certain things. Number one, in a few minutes we're praying, but write down this. Ask the Lord to show you people you can start praying for this whole month of July. So write, we're going to pray, but just first write people you're going to pray for. And keep some space because whatever names come to your heart, you're going to be writing it down here. Ask the Lord to show you people you can start praying for. And in Kohima, people you can go to, not, not Justin Bieber, you know, or the K-pop band, no. People you can pray for here. People you can go and talk to them. All right? <laughs> Number two. You're going to pray for them every day. And you're going to pray that the Lord will tend their hearts to the good news. The Lord will remove the veil from their eyes and they will turn to the Lord. The third step, you're going to ask the Lord to lead you to strangers this entire month. Strangers who needs Christ and whom you can share the gospel with. The gospel is not only get born again. The gospel is Jesus is the answer to every need. Jesus is your righteousness is also the good news. Jesus is your healer is also the good news. Jesus is your comforter is the good news. Jesus is your peace is the good news. The gospel is for every need. And every day there are people who need the gospel. They're born again, they're saved, but they are in depression. They're born again and they're saved, but they are in guilt and condemnation because of past sins. Many are struggling, trying to be righteous in their own works, but are filled with heaviness in their hearts. Nagalan is full of such people. And let me say the world is full of such people. To tell them God has forgiven you of your sins and you are righteous by faith, not by your works, is great news. So ask the Lord to lead you to somebody, stranger, who is seeking for answers. Number four, this is what we're going to pray. We're going to ask God to give us boldness. Everyone say boldness. To share the good news to those friends and also to the strangers. And even maybe lay hands on them and pray on the spot. Don't say, I'll pray for you when I go home. Ask the Lord to give you boldness that on the spot, on the highway, in the school, in the bus, in the shop, in the office, ask the Lord to give you boldness to pray. Amen. The last step. You're going to invite somebody to church every Sunday this month. Ask the Lord to show you who. That means you must also come. If necessary, go and bring them. Pick them up. 
maybe even through a taxi or something. Can you do that? Because why? This is family business. Family business. This is the father's heart. This is the father's greatest desire. And if you want to touch somebody's heart, we always look for what is taiki bhalage, ki ice cream bhalage, ki mongso bhalage. I be amikan. Horin mongso bisariwo. Minister ke daikana dibo. Arutai amikan ke kaum dibo. Right? We nagas understand this language. But when it comes to God, we don't apply this wisdom. <laughs> we know how to touch the heart of the CM. We know how to touch the heart of the cabinet ministers. Why? Just find what they like. What does God like? He likes souls. He likes His house to be full of saved people. And if you want to touch the heart of the richest, most powerful, most gracious, most faithful man on the earth, we must save souls. And he can do more for you than any CM, any cabinet can do. Hallelujah. So these five steps, we're going to pray right now. If you have been blessed through this podcast, we invite you to partner with us in sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ from Nagaland to the nations. We make all our series available for free, but it does cost us time, effort, and money to do. So the support of people such as you will enable us to reach more people in more regions. Remember, when you give, the Word of God says in 2 Corinthians 9.8 that God is able to make all grace abound towards you that you, always having all sufficiency, all things, may have an abundance of every good work. If you would like to support our media ministry on a monthly basis or through a one-time gift, kindly write to us at faithharvestnagaland at gmail.com and visit our website www.faithharvest.in and you can go to the giving section. You can also give through this UPI ID 700 at PayTM. God bless you and thank you so much for your generosity.